Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. If you're just joining us, this first batch of episodes chronicles the refit and subsequent adventures of my wife Ryan and I aboard our 1967 Pearson Ariel Firefly. We spent two years on the hard fixing up the old girl and took her down the ICW from Virginia to the Florida Keys and back. Cheers! So when we left off, we had anchored in the Severn River after our first day out on the Chesapeake and spent a day there just kind of recouping, relaxing. Uh, so then uh, we headed from the Severn River down to, to Chisman Creek, which is off of the Pocosin, and it was uh, the wind was 10 knots out of the south, so we were, we were motoring into it, and that was the first of many days spent motoring motoring into headwinds, and that's that's kind of what the ICW is all about a lot of times. So if you waste a fair wind, the collal area is your motoring. <laughs> uh, and then we got a little bit lost out there in between in between Mobjack Bay and, and the Pocosin River. Uh, I had been sailing there, and I'd been out on boats there before, but we were just a little bit further out, and everything looks different, and, and it's easy to get turned around, and... So I had, I had first I thought that that York Spit Light had been moved. Um, <laughs> I was insisting. I was like, man, they must have moved this somewhere else. That's not where it's supposed to be. And of course Ryan was like, yeah, you're you're crazy. They don't move. They don't move lighthouses. <laughs> and obviously she was right. So I just was turning around, and uh, eventually we got straight uh, and figured out where we were. So we're continuing on, and then we get into the entrance to the Pocosin River, and we start passing these yellow buoys, which weren't on the chart. So then we kind of started second-guessing ourselves again, and we were all turned around. And and as it turns out, uh, they were just marine resource buoys, and we had we had old charts, so it, it was it was no big deal. But I we we were worried we were going to run aground onto the Pocosin Flats. So that was also the first time that Ryan learned that I hadn't updated our charts. <laughs> So she was a little bit unhappy with me, but uh, I challenge any of you out there to uh, to email me if if you regularly update your charts. I'll I'll be impressed. Um, and I'll get into kind of everything we were using to navigate at a, at a at a later date. But it it does go to show you that if you're using paper charts, you really do need to keep a, a running dr. Uh, just even even if you know where you are, it's all line of sight navigation there. Uh, but even even with that and, and knowing generally where we were, we got got a little bit turned around. So we should have been plotting plotting a position or at least kind of keeping an eye on the chart a little more closely. And we got I just got a little complacent after after the success of our of our first day out. I uh, I figured we'd be fine, <laughs> but we figured it out. Uh, so we we made our way up the Pocosin River, uh, turned into Chisman Creek and anchored anchored up about as far as, as you can go up the creek and uh, nice little protected anchorage. So we kind of hung out there. Um, we, we rode in, there's a little marina there. We rode the dinghy in, we rode bug in. Um, we figured maybe there was a marina store or something and we could, we could snag a six pack and 
we climb out of the dinghy, we climb onto the floating dock there, and this guy uh, offers us the use of his truck to run down to the store. So, you know, we're, this is down somewhere in Pocosin, and which is about a 35-minute drive from where we live. And, you know, in the normal course of events, if you, you know, no one's ever going to just offer you, a perfect stranger's never going to offer you to lend you a car. Uh, but that's kind of, that's when, when you're, when you're boating, that's kind of how people, how people do. So, uh, he, he lent us his truck. It was a big old Ford F-150. You know, we were joking. We think it, we think it probably weighs more than our boat. And, uh, we drove to the store and we bought Guinness and bacon. <laughs> it was a little quickie mart and we were, uh, that was all we could find, but it was, we made, we made, uh, bacon tortillas and had, had it with Guinness. So that was a good meal. So we, we ended up hanging out in Chisholm Creek for a day. It was one of those just perfect fall days on the Chesapeake. It was cool. Sun was shining. There was a light breeze. Um, I took the dinghy and rode around for a couple hours, just checking out all the little nooks and crannies of the creek, which is one, one of my favorite things to do. Ryan was crocheting. She started crocheting on this trip, and she was making uh, little squares, and the, and the plan was to, to connect all the squares into a big trip blanket. So that was kind of cool. So she started getting into that. Uh, we just kind of hung out in the cockpit and read and enjoyed the day. Uh, definitely one of the benefits of, of having some time to spend cruising is just the ability to just kind of chill. You know, not something you get to do much in the course of everyday life. So from the Pocosin River, from Chisholm Creek, we made our way uh, south down the rest of the Chesapeake Bay to Hampton Roads and the Lafayette River. Uh, we were able to sail a little bit out the mouth of the Pocosin, but the wind died. Uh, once again, found ourselves motoring. Um, and you could really tell at this point that it was the, the fall migration. There was a lot of boats heading south, and there was people coming from, a couple boats coming from Pocosin, a lot of boats coming from Cape Charles and, and some other places a little further up the bay, and you could see everyone kind of converging on, on Hampton Roads. So that was kind of neat. It kind of felt like you were part of, a, part of the flock, as it were. So we were pretty nervous about coming into Hampton Roads, primarily uh, with commercial traffic and all the naval, naval activity there. Uh, we wanted to make sure we were well outside of the, the the main part of the channel, and we were just we were just nervous. We didn't want to get run over, <laughs> run over by a tanker. So, um, so we get to we make it down the into the Hampton, into Hampton Roads, and we're making the turn to the Elizabeth River, and I was we started to get I started to get concerned that we were run we had run the the fuel tank too low. Uh, we were starting to be a little low on fuel, and at the time, I guess I didn't know where the, a good, like the sweet spot was for setting the throttle in terms of fuel efficiency and, and speed. So I think we were running more or less wide open and, and really at three quarters throttle, the, the motor pushes the boat at hull speed. So pretty much just wasting, wasting gas at that point. So we were burning more gas than we should have been and we we're getting a little low and, you know, earlier a few podcasts, a few episodes ago, I mentioned that that a reoccurring theme would be me not really knowing how to handle the boat under power or anything about motors. And so <laughs> this is a prime example. So I thought that if we took the cap off of the fuel tank, there's an ex, you know, it's an external fuel tank that we might suck air into the line and, and cause the motor to get airbound. So we actually, in the middle of Hampton Roads, the Elizabeth River, we were off to the side. We actually turned the motor off opened the fuel cap, dumped a bunch of gas in, closed everything back up, and we're just, you know, we had our fingers crossed that the motor would start. Luckily, it started right up. 
but we were like freaking out. And of course, you know, in hindsight, obviously that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, you can, and, and we learned that soon enough, but you know, it's kind of a, it's a, it was a bit of a silly place to, uh, to not know how to refuel, <laughs> refuel the fuel tank. But with that behind us, we really did, uh, you know, Hampton Roads is, is impressive. The, uh, the scale of everything down there is way different from anything you'll see in most other places. I mean, there's the, the ships, the huge shipping industry. Uh, there's lots of just heavy, heavy industry along the, the shore, all kinds of things that are being loaded and unloaded processing plants. Um, you know, the, obviously the Navy, the Naval base is down there and those ships are, are really cool to, to be able to see. And, and really from the Elizabeth river, that's as close as you can get to those a lot of times. So, uh, it's, it's pretty neat and it's definitely a side, it's a side of the country that you don't, that most people never get to see. You know, we spend most of our time kind of, you know, in our, you know, in our houses, going, going to the grocery store, going to work and in our, our little, you know, following our usual patterns. And then you get down there and you see just, you know, kind of the, the scale of, of everything that's involved in supporting the modern, the modern lifestyle, uh, in terms of, you know, the container ships and then just the heavy industry putting out, you know, there's a lot of petroleum down there, petroleum industry. And, uh, I don't even know what, what some of this stuff is, but it's, it's definitely impressive to see from the water. And it's, uh, you know, it's, when you think of going sailing, you think of trying to get away from it all and these, and being out and being out in nature. And it's, uh, so this, you know, the Hampton Roads is unique in that way that it's, it's not at all a natural setting, but it's, uh, but it's beautiful in its own way, maybe kind of a post-apocalyptic way, uh, it's, and it's very visually arresting. Uh, it's just like I said, it's it's something outside of the normal experience. So we anchored in the Lafayette River, which is a which is a decent anchorage, uh, good good holding, and nothing nothing much to report. It's it's uh, it's right in in Norfolk though. It's and it's weird, you know. I had driven over the there's a bridge that goes over the Lafayette River that's kind of the head of navigation for most sailboats, and I'd driven over the bridge many times, and it was it was weird coming in by boat and and sleeping, you know, like staying anchoring right next to the bridge and hearing the cars go by, you know, during the night. Uh, it was just a different way of, of seeing the place. So from the Lafayette River, we continued our way down the the Elizabeth that uh, the next day. Um, and as we're passing through, uh, by Portsmouth, there we there we got hailed on the VHF by the the ferry there that runs runs between Portsmouth and uh, Norfolk. And and I thought you know there's a, there's a lot of traffic about and I thought we were getting in his way or something I, I was looking over my shoulder I thought we were about to get run down and as it turns out the uh, the captain of the ferry had been following the refit our refit on our blog recognized our boat you know called us by name and, and wished us uh, you know a good trip fair winds so that was really nice that was very cool me and Ryan were were flattered and uh, it was just it was a nice you know a nice send off um, so that was that was that was a neat thing. Uh, and then right through there, you you pass um, Red Nun 36, which is the official start of the uh, Intracoastal Waterway. So that was exciting. That was a nice milestone or mile marker, as it were. Um, and there's an anchorage right inside there, right 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 in that area, with a really interesting collection of boats. Um, you know, it's a big it's a big staging point. A lot of people heading down the ICW stop there, um, and being fairly convenient to the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. There's a lot of boats that head offshore that stage from there as well. Um, so a lot of cool boats. There's also a lot of real clunkers, boats that haven't 
I haven't moved in a while. So, you know, the only thing better than poking around a marina or poking around a, uh, a boatyard is, is poking around an anchorage. So it was pretty cool. We, we, you know, we motored slowly by and we're, we're checking out the boats. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those anchorages that, and there's a few of them along, along the East coast, but this, you know, it's a, it's a meeting point. It's kind of like a, a bottleneck, I guess. There's a lot of people who pass through there and it's kind of like the start and end point of voyages. And you can kind of tell like there's a lot, there's boats there that are, you know, everything's ship shape in Bristol and you can tell they're getting ready to go. And then there's boats there that clearly have, have sat for a while and uh, have returned from a voyage and maybe aren't, maybe aren't going anytime soon. So then we passed under the, um, the high rise and the Gilmerton bridges and the Gilmerton bridge was our first bridge opening, which went fairly smoothly. We were at the back of the line, so we didn't have to do much, but try to keep up. Um, but both of those bridges have regular openings. And if you live anywhere in the South, you know, the Hampton roads, Southern Virginia area, um, on the radio in the mornings with the traffic report, they always talk about the bridge openings because it's a major, it, it causes huge traffic jams. And so whenever I heard that on the radio, I'd, it would always, always be a motivation for me while we were working on the boat. Um, thinking to myself that, you know, one day it's going to be us who's going to be holding up traffic. We're not going to be sitting on the bridge. We're going to be going under it. <laughs> so, so that was kind of cool to go under those bridges and, uh, and kind of laugh at the people sitting, sitting in traffic up, up on top. And from there, it's not that far to the lock at Deep Creek. So we, uh, we actually thought we were going to miss the lock, but as we kind of turn around the corner there, the, uh, the lock tender hailed us. And so we kind of hightailed it and made made it into the, the, the opening. And it was kind of cool because there was probably 10 or 12 boats that locked through with us that day. And throughout the rest of our trip, we would run into these people and, and you know, we would recognize their boats, uh, which which was pretty neat. Um, and in fact, I saw there was a this cool converted skipjack yacht in there that went through with us. And I guess he went all the way down to Florida, but just this past fall, um, I saw the boat on the hard in Deltaville, which was pretty neat. I recognized it immediately. And it, so it was kind of, kind of a cool moment. And I, we had never been through a lock before, so we were a little nervous, but it, it was easy. Um, and you can see on the, uh, on the wall in the lock there, people have kind of scrawled their boat names and stuff. So it's a neat, it's a neat spot. And the uh, passing cruisers on their way north drop off conch shells from the Bahamas. So there's a, there's a pretty good pile of conch shells on the, on the, uh, on the side there. So it's, it's a neat, it's a neat experience going through. So we go through this lock and it's, it's like a magic gate. I mean, when we go from this kind of industrial landscape with heavy industry and large shipping and tugboats and barges, and all of a sudden you're in the dismal swamp canal and it's this totally different otherworldly, narrow, dark and shaded, there's trees overhanging. It's, it's this very different landscape or waterscape. And it was kind of a rainy day. Uh, the water is real dark. The water is almost black with tannins from the, uh, I guess, from the trees from, and from the, the pine trees. Um, I was happy about that because I figured getting some fresh water through the outboard was not a bad idea. But, you know, motoring through the, the Dismal Swamp Canal is pretty, in some ways it's boring because it's, I mean, it's literally miles and miles of, of, of one straight shot. And I think there's one turn halfway through. It's about, you know, it's a, it's a slow bend, but uh, 
it's just very it's very different from any other part of the of the ICW and it's it's nice it's it's pretty relaxing you know there's no there's no navigation to be done you just stay in the middle and uh, and just kind of enjoy the scenery passing by so that was we both enjoyed the change of pace motoring down the canal it was it was cool so halfway through or actually probably three quarters of the way through the canal is the Dismal Swamp uh, Visitor Center which is kind of the standard place to to spend the night because the locks on the south end have a have specific openings and usually you I guess if you make the first lock opening on the north end at Deep Creek you can make it all the way through but most people end up spending the night at the Dismal Swamp Visitor Center uh, which is a cool spot it's a little strange and they have bathrooms it's essentially a highway rest stop so you have the Dismal Swamp on one side and I think it's Route 17 on the other so you know you have people pulling off the highway with their families to go, you know, to go to the, use the restrooms. And then there's all these cruising sailboats tied off across the way. Uh, you know, you're probably 20 or 30 miles inland and there's all these boats hanging out. It's, it's, it's a weird, it's kind of a weird place. Um, they have a little museum there with, uh, with some taxidermy raccoons and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and at this point in the trip, we, you know, we had, we looked at, the, the charts and everything pretty in, in detail up to the dismal swamp. And for so long, it seemed like it was so far away. Uh, you know, we, we left and then all of a sudden, you know, in a few days we were there. So, um, we started spending about a half an hour, 45 minutes every evening going over the charts for the next day, reading through the guidebooks. Uh, if there was anything crazy, we would kind of make notes for ourselves. So when we were up in the cockpit, we, we had it ready at hand uh, and some days that was overkill. Some days you're just motoring down, motoring down the ditch. Um, but usually it served us well. So at the south end of the Dismal Swamp Canal, there's a, a bridge just north of the lock and, and the lock. And they open, they coordinate the opening of the bridge with the lock. So we get to the bridge and there's all, all the boats that had been rafted up are kind of milling about. And it's, it's fairly narrow in there. It's only about 100 foot, probably about 100 foot wide. So we're waiting for the bridge to open, and all of a sudden the current picks up. It goes from nothing to you know I don't know a knot or two of current, and so it was like it was like you know not quite bumper boats, but it was havoc. People were kind of turning all over the place, trying to keep the boats in the center of the uh, the canal. And I assume what happened was that they'd opened the lock, and so that water was filling the lock and started sucking water out of the out of the canal. But um, it was a good thing we had tied off to the pilings because at, at the time my boat handling skills were still uh, developing, <laughs> but tied off we were fine. So you pat then so then you, you pass through the bridge in the lock at South Mills, and you go into the Pasquotank River, and it's a again the, the landscape changed fairly dramatically from the, the dismal swamp where it's the trees are overhanging and it's it's dark. Um, and the Pasquotank is, I guess, kind of like a cypress swamp, I guess. But it was pouring rain, so it was foggy, and there's rain, and it was just—it was very—it was very otherworldly. It was a different, different, uh, different-looking place. But it was—it was cool. Um, so we knew we had to get some fuel because there wasn't many places to get fuel south of there for for a while. Um, and we looked on in the guide, and we found this place called Lamb's Marina. So Lambs Marina is an interesting place. Uh, it's a little bit crazy. There's a, it's another highway rest stop. So I believe it's Route 17, 
passes by on one side and the marina's on the other. It's a super narrow entrance. You can barely see it. There's just like a big sign like nailed to a cypress tree out in the middle of the swamp that says Lamb's Marina. And there's some PVC poles that guide you in. And you come through this very narrow channel. And all of a sudden you're in this marina. And it's just a single single fairway with docks on either side. And there are all kinds of boats there. There's you know, people coming down the ICW. There's boats that have just ended up there and have never moved cabin cruisers there's a couple there was a couple little blue water cruisers there as i recall i think there was a contessa 26 um just a a weird different but very cool place it's got a it's got a a friendly vibe but a weird friendly vibe so it's pouring rain Uh, we pull into the fuel dock and all these kind of old salts materialize out of the fog and start kind of shooting the shit with us uh we met met a fella named rabbit who was a cool dude, um, but uh, so we refueled at Lamb's Marina, and and then it was a race to the free docks at Elizabeth City. Um, so Elizabeth City has free docks along its waterfront, and uh, it's they've probably got room for about twenty boats there. But it's it's a cool place, um, definitely, definitely one of the highlights of that section of the ICW. Um, there's a cool bar there called Coasters, which is it's the elusive dive bar that also serves really good beer and you need to become a member. So you have to like fill out the guest book and pay him a dollar for a membership card. It's some kind of weird liquor law in North Carolina, I guess. But that's one of the cool things about traveling by boat. You know, Elizabeth city is only probably an hour, hour and a half by car from where we live. You know, it took us a week to get there on the boat. I'm sure if we had stopped there in Elizabeth city, on the way to the beach going down to the Outer Banks or something, we probably wouldn't have looked at it twice and we, we might have even hurried on our way. Um, and there are sections of the, of the town that are kind of crumbling a little bit and you can tell that the city has had more prosperous days in the past. And Elizabeth City probably looks more towards the interstate than the waterfront these days. But when you arrive by boat, you really appreciate a place. Its charms are much more accessible. And we walked around on a weekday morning and watched people going to work. We hung out at a coffee shop and just kind of listened in on the local gossip, checked out the local art scene. Uh, we had a really great time in Elizabeth City. Um, they also actively court cruising sailors, which is which is nice. It's it's nice to be wanted, and it's it's definitely a big contrast to other parts of the country, um, particularly in Florida. So. It's, Elizabeth City is a cool place. It was also the first place where we really discovered the community of sailors. You know, we met some lifelong friends there, people we hang out with and keep up with now three three years later. Um, and that community, while it's, it's something you hear people talk a lot about, surprised us for some reason. And to this day, it's one of the things we miss most about cruising. How the shared experience of sailing of uh, traveling by boat makes for good times, uh, laughter, and deep friendships. That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring 
is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember, to be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.